Jesus, we turn our eyes upon you. The problems of this world are dim when our eyes are upon you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for always being with us. No matter what we're going through, we can always count on your presence. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. First of all, on behalf of Amy and I, thank you. For those of you that know me, you know that I'm actually an introvert and standing up here while that was going on was extremely uncomfortable, but thank you. We just started with a prayer. And if we're honest, when you think about prayer, sometimes prayers can be forced. Sometimes they can be artificial. Sometimes the words just don't come out right. We've been in this series walking through the book of James, and today we come to the final installment of this series. And it's all about prayer. Now, I say it's the final installment. I'm taking a little bit of a break. I'll be back in December. I'll still be here, but I'm going to not preach again until December. But I'm excited for who is coming up. Some that you've heard from before, some that have never preached before will be getting up here to preach for the very first time. So I hope that you will be here to encourage all of those and to hear messages that I am excited to hear. So as I start this message Pull out your Bibles. If, not, if, you didn't, if you brought one, if you didn't, don't worry. All the, all the scripture will be up on the screen. But we're going to start with James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, where it says, Are you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. I'm going to stop there because James has already given us the big idea about prayer. That first principle is this, in every season of life should be handled with prayer. No matter what you're going through, it's time to pray. It should be the first thing we do no matter what's going on. If you're in trouble, talk to God. If you're happy, Talk to God. The point is that prayer is to be the way that we incorporate God into every single aspect of our life. It's an idea of an ongoing conversation, a continuing dialogue. Prayer isn't something that we do under exceptional circumstances. It's meant to be the way that we live. We are to be a people of prayer. In other words, we are to have lives that are always in communication with God. 
Which brings me to the second principle James wants us to see, that you can pray for physical healing and receive it. We see that beginning in verse 14. He says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. Now, some of you are okay with that, but for some of you, that may seem a little weird. Praying's one thing. Praying to be healed, calling for the elders, getting sprayed with some Crisco is a whole nother thing altogether. But James says, let's go back to that big picture, that big idea that we can pray for anything and everything. So James wants us to explore how that even includes physical healing. And James tells us specifically how to go about doing that. First, this is for the really sick. Elders and oil isn't for an ingrown toenail. When James says to call for the elders to get prayer for being sick, he means that you're really sick. Not a bad hair day type of sick. Then James says that the people to go to are not faith healers wanting money. But this prayer are for the elders of your church. So who are they? Perhaps a little background here. You see, there are three different Greek terms used in the New Testament to refer to the same set of church leaders. The first word, and my Greek's not that great, so I'll probably mispronounce it, is poimen, which is usually translated pastor. It refers to the role of the pastor or the shepherd and speaks of their responsibility to care for the church and to teach it. The second term is presbyteros, which is usually translated as elder which is a word referring to someone who functions in terms of mature leadership. And then the third term is episkopos, usually translated as bishop, which speaks to the role of a manager or an overseer. So you have pastors, you have elders, and you have bishops but they weren't meant to be three separate positions. They were three sets of responsibilities for one role. The pastors were the elders, the, and they were also the bishops. They were used synonymously and interchangeably in the New Testament. We often separate them. But that's not the way it was in the New Testament. In fact, let me give you a couple examples from the New Testament. In 1 Peter, we read this. To the elders, presbyteros, I say, be shepherds, poimen, of God's flock, serving as overseers, episcopos. They're used interchangeably. Then in Acts, we read this. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, Guard yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
be pastors of the church of God. So the pastors were the elders, and the elders were the bishops, and the bishops were the pastors. They were all one and the same in the New Testament. Now let's carry that back to the process of prayer for healing. You should ask a pastor of the church who would ideally gather a few other individuals who function pastorally in the life of the church to pray for you. Does that mean you do that instead of going to a doctor? Of course not. And if you've ever heard that, it's false and you won't find that in the Bible. It just means that you seek healing. Don't forget to ask God to work as well. And then the third step James gives us is for the elders to anoint the person with oil. So what's, what's the deal with that part? You see, in the ancient world, oil was a very well-known medicine, but here it's more of a tangible symbol of faith. You would anoint someone with oil to set them apart, to mark them for prayer and blessing. When I do it, I just take a little bit of oil on my finger and I just place it on their forehead as a symbol of the Spirit. Upon them. And then fourth, James says to then pray for that person's healing. And there are all kinds of ways to be healed. Some are healed physically. They can be given a healing emotionally or spiritually that gives them the supernatural strength to get through a trying illness. God can work through the skill of doctors and nurses. I always tell people when I pray for them in this way that I have absolutely no idea how God is going to respond or what kind of healing he might bring. But what I do know is that God will respond and he will do whatever is in his will the best way to do it. James tells us that God is going to do something through this type of prayer. Something that wouldn't happen if we hadn't prayed this way. So you may be thinking, do you really believe that God still heals people? I don't just believe it, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've seen him heal people physically, emotionally, spiritually, in all kinds of ways, and I've seen it done in this church. When there are serious issues that arise in a person's life and a pastor is asked to anoint someone with oil and to pray for healing, we do it. We don't make a big show of it. It's done privately and it's rare, but we're unapologetic about doing it because that's what the Bible tells us to do. A third principle that James wants us to see is that you can pray for forgiveness and receive it. But, but that's not all that should be going on here. See, James gives us one more detail about this prayer event when you call the elders. Take a look again at what James adds at the end of this. He says, are any of you sick? 
You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. What's, what's that verse about? We're going to go maybe a little bit deep here. James is raising the possibility that your illness, your sickness, whatever it is that, you're, that you've asked to be prayed for, it might be tied to sin in your life. And if so, and you've come to the elders of the church to be prayed for, to seek divine help with all of it, then part of it can be confessing your sins and receiving forgiveness for those sins. In fact, that should be a part of it. If you seek healing from God, begin with confession. Not simply because sin might be behind whatever's going on with you, but because confession is part of coming to God for a relationship. If you're going to seek God's help, you want to do everything that you possibly can to be right with him. There's a link between the power of your prayer and whether you are in a right relationship with God. Principle number four is the power of prayer and the character of the person praying are linked. That's where James wants to take us next, beginning in verse 16, this time in the message paraphrase. He says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human, just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. The showers came, and everything started growing again. That's a fascinating teaching from the Bible. It tells us of the existence of a certain kind of prayer, not just prayer in general, but a specific kind of prayer, intense, fervent prayer. powerful prayer. And then we're given an example of what is meant by powerful. Controlling the very nature, the very elements of nature type of powerful. About as powerful as you can imagine. Elijah prayed intensely as a righteous person for it not to rain. And it didn't. He prayed for it to start raining again, and it did. It's a pretty cool story that James is referencing here. It's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. God sent Elijah as his representative to bring divine judgment on the people for turning to idolatry and worshiping false gods. 
Now, the main god that the people had turned to was the god named Baal. It was supposed to be the god of fertility and also the lord of the rain clouds. To show just how empty this worship of Baal was, Elijah prayed to the one true God that it wouldn't rain. And then he let the people turn to their preferred God, this God called Baal, the God of the rain, or as the counting crows would say, the rain king, to, to see if he could do anything about it. And Baal couldn't. In fact, it didn't rain for three and a half years. Not until Elijah again prayed to the one true God. That's the power of prayer. So what was the key to that power? The person needs to be living right with God which means someone who's come to a relationship with God through Christ as their forgiver and as their leader, someone who's committed to trying to find and follow God's will in their life, someone who's chasing after God's heart. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be some super saint. In fact, James goes out of his way to make that clear to us. He says, in mentioning Elijah, he reminds us that Elijah was someone just like us. Someone of the same nature, someone subject to the same emotions, wrestling with the same weaknesses. Someone just like you and just like me. But Elijah was right with God. Now, he wasn't sin-free, but he was a confessor of his sin. It bothered him. He didn't want to offend God, so he took his sin to God and asked for forgiveness. This is more important than many of us realize, particularly when it comes to our prayer life. A life of confession is what enables our prayers to go to God unencumbered. In fact, look at these words from the prophet Isaiah. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Note that language. It does not say that he doesn't hear. He obviously knows that you're praying, but that he will not hear, meaning he will not meet it with the response that you desire. It will not be a prayer of power because unconfessed sins cut off our communion with God. We're not talking about being sin-free and not having areas where you struggle. This is about the areas where, isn't about the areas where you tend to slip up. Maybe get sloppy, maybe can do a little bit better. I'm talking about areas of rebellion, where you know that you are rebellious, and you just don't care about it. You've decided that you're going to do it your way regardless of what God says. 
And according to the Bible, this is serious. Psalm 66 puts it this way. I cried out to him with my mouth. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Proverbs 28.9 says, If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. And Isaiah says this, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Let me put it as plainly as I know how. If you are embracing sin in your life, don't waste your breath praying unless it's a prayer of confession doesn't mean casually saying, God, forgive me for all my sins, and then moving on to the next item of business. This, there's a sense that we are to take some time and be specific about the sins that we're confessing and seeking forgiveness for. It's, God, forgive me for looking long and hard at that woman and catering to sexual thoughts. Forgive me for lying to my coworker about the project deadline. Forgive me for blowing up in anger at my child. Forgive me for what I said about that person today that tore them down behind their back. It's authentic confession. We did not commit our sins in some bland, generic manner. So we shouldn't confess them that way either. Which brings us to James' final words. Picking up in verse 19 again in the message paraphrase, he says, My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Do you see how all of this flows together? Pray about everything. Specifically, remember that you can pray for healing and when you go to God in prayer, be right with him, confess your sins, then you can unleash God's power in your life. Then he adds those last verses. And if you know anyone who is still living apart from healing, apart from spiritual health or wholeness, who aren't confessing their sins but living in them, don't you even think of writing them off. Go after them. Get them back and you will have rescued them. Turn them on to the kind of prayer that can turn their life around. 
It reminds me of a story that Tony Campolo once told. It's probably one of my favorite stories about prayer that speaks to a lot of this. And I've told this story before, but I think it's good enough to repeat. See, Tony was at a church where eight guys took him into the back room to to pray over him before he preached. When he got back into the room, he kneeled down on the ground, and the eight guys laid their hands on his head to pray for him before before his sermon. There's only one problem. They prayed a long time. And the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned. Eight guys leaning on your head doesn't feel so good. And Campolo said one guy wasn't even praying for him. He kept praying for this this guy that he didn't know who it was, and it's Charlie S., if you read the email. He kept praying for Charlie Stoltzfus. He would pray, Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in the silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord. Just down the road on the right-hand side. And Campolo felt like saying, Did you knock it off? What do you think God's doing, asking for the address again? But this guy went on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he's decided to leave his wife and three kids. He told me that he's walking out on his family. Lord, step in and do something. Bring the people in that family back together again. And all the while, Campolo's got eight guys leaning on his head. And this one fellow keeps going on and on about Charlie Stoltzfus leaving his wife and kids, giving God reminders about how he lived in the silver trailer about a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Finally, those prayers ended. And Campolo got up and gave his sermon. And when he was finished, he got in his car and, and drove to the Pennsylvania Turnpike heading for home. And as he drove on the Turnpike, he noticed a hitchhiker. Now, he didn't normally stop and pick up hitchhikers, but for some reason, he, picked, he stopped on this occasion. Guy got in the car, and he said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? My name is Charlie Stoltzfus. Campolo knew in an instant what he had to do. He got off the turnpike at the next exit and started heading back. The guy was starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. He said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? Campolo said, I'm taking you home. The guy said, well, why? Because you just left your wife and three kids, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Then Charlie Stoltzfus kind of plastered himself up against the door and didn't say another word. And Campolo drove off the turnpike and really did Charlie in a bit when he drove right up to the silver trailer. How did you, how did you know where I lived? And Campolo couldn't resist. He said, God told me. He ordered him out of the car and into the trailer, which Stoltzfus only gladly did. And a shocked wife opened the door and said, you're back. 
Stoltzfus walked over to her, whispered in her ear, and then her eyes got about as big as his was. And Campolo said, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to listen. And that afternoon, those two young people made the decision to turn their life over to Jesus. A marriage that had failed was made new through prayer. A prayer that wasn't afraid to ask for everything. To seek healing in someone's life. And knowing that it would demand confession. And when all of that came together, God showed up. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of prayer. Thank you for the ability that we have to come to you, confess our sins, and when we need healing, to seek it from you. Help us to never be afraid to pray for anything. Because you care about us. You love us. Help us to come to you with authentic confession for whatever sins may be in our life. Help us to always bring them to you because it's only when we have an authentic relationship with you can you use us. Help us to whisper that prayer. Give me Jesus. Amen.